Chapter 43 After being abandoned by our crew on the wild shores of America, Bennett and I hunkered down, fortified what we could, and waited. When the storms died out, the noise began. At first, it was a gentle drumming from the tree lines. It sounded like a celebration and went on for several days, followed by some piercing screams, obviously meant to unsettle the fort's remaining occupants, and a couple of flaming arrows that went into the sodden dirt and did no real harm to the wooden structures. The threat was implied. Then the keening and the ululations for long stretches of time from transient groups of natives, usually women, who stood in a row just in sight of the front gate and trilled endlessly, it seemed, often ending these songs by spitting at the fort. Occasionally, a brave group of liberated slaves would arrive in between the Indians' performance to demand food and supplies in their native tongues, only to slink away when ignored. Neither group ever organized enough to storm our pathetic defenses. Wamenu snuck into the compound during the second week of our slow siege and bid me to come away with him. Bennett had developed an odd habit of disappearing for several hours before dawn each day. I always pretended to be asleep when he returned, assuming he was searching for food he didn't have to share. It was only natural he fend for himself. I sure wasn't any help having given up entirely to napping in light of our current predicament. It was one of these mornings I awoke to find Wamenu cross-legged beside me, making a small circle around my ragpile bed with a handful of precious salt. He smiled when he noticed my eyes on him and motioned to his salt circle. Come with me, he said in perfect English, better than I'd ever heard him speak in the company of others. You must come now, before the red star crosses the sky and you are lost. I actually looked up when he said this, staring heartily through the rotting rafters of the unfinished ceiling, searching. I saw nothing through the bald rushes. Without bothering to rise, my body too weak at this point to bother with manners, I shook my head. I can't leave the boy, I explained. You'll have to wait for Bennett to get back. Wamenu turned to me, panic in his eyes, imploring gently. The boy is dead. You must come or die as well. There is evil here. It is no good for you. I bolted up, pushing myself against the sticky resin from the seeping logs of the raw pine wall. Bennett is dead? How? When? Wamenu shook his head, standing and preferred his hand. Come. I stared at his hand, horrified, convinced he was tricking me to lure me to my death as well. He dropped his hand, giving me one last pitiful gaze and backed away, slipping into the fog of the morning just as Bennett reappeared. I pretended to sleep as he dropped down to the pallet opposite mine and closed his eyes, an unfamiliar scent filling my nostrils that I couldn't quite identify. It wafted over me as Bennett adjusted his form. It was the smell of flesh and sweat, blood and smoke and something else, something like rotting fruit. 
I was relieved by Bennett's reappearance, enough so I didn't question where he'd been or why Wamenu had lied about his death. What purpose could separating us possibly serve? We were the easiest marks that ever lived. I was dying. I could feel it. My body was weak. We hadn't eaten in days, with days between the days before that. I'd developed a racking cough and it shook my entire body of bones each time it gripped me. I must have been delirious because I thought Bennett was in the same shape as he lay across from me on his own pallet of scraps we'd collected from the camp. It was only when he held my head up and forced mouthfuls of water from a dirty wooden cup into me that I noticed how positively healthy he still appeared. Weeks of starvation, illness, sorrow, and fear, and he was virtually unchanged from the day I'd met him almost a year before. Unchanged. For the first time, I grew leery of this boy, the one I'd protected and nurtured for so long without a word of thanks or acknowledgement of my assistance. I'd never had the time to really ponder our odd arrangement, to think whether or not he'd even needed my help. He hadn't, had he? He'd never sought me out or gave me a second glance. I was the one who'd pressed my energies on him. I was the one who'd watched over him like a brother. This water, this sucker was the first sign of humanity I think I'd ever seen from this silent child. It touched me even though I was becoming suspicious of him. How had he survived so well and wholly to even now show not one sign of hardship? My voice failing me, I grasped his hand as he sponged my forehead with a rag. I know nothing about you, Bennett, I implored. Tell me about your life before I die. A rather dramatic declaration, but I made it all the same. Bennett shrugged and continued, muttering, You're not going to die, my friend. Not now. Likely not ever. I ignored the strange comment, delirious as I was. He went on in his crisp, odd accent. But I will tell you a funny story. He sat back on his haunches, crouched. His eyes still locked on mine and went on. Did I ever tell you that my mother sold me to a man who wanted to feed me to a tiger? Can you believe it? I couldn't, because he had never said, and though I was too weak to acknowledge it verbally, this was the most he'd ever spoken, at least to me. Well, she did, that bitch. But it wasn't a tiger he fed me to, Henry. He said my name. I had never heard him use it. It was just a man. He went back to his pallet, my eyes following him as he stoked the fire a bit and sat down, pushing his back against the spindly wall behind him. I remember it was summer, and I loved the season because my people, we'd walk and walk and walk, hunting all through the spring, and then the warmest months, we'd find these fruit trees all in a field, and there would be such a celebration, and ceremonies, and the feasting, and people fucking by the fire in the center of the camp. It was a wild, wild time. I was just a child, so no fucking for me. But my mother, unlucky woman, agreed to sell me to a man she'd just met. 
He offered her a tidy sum, I imagine. And I had several brothers and sisters, so it was no real loss to her. Maybe she'd fucked him by the fire. I'm not sure. So off I went, a rope around my neck. Like those poor bastards out there. He motioned jovially towards the hanged slaves, still swinging from the tree at the perimeter of camp. You see, on the long walk back to this camp, my captor told me there was no tiger. But there was a wise man he wanted me to meet, and he would leave it to the man to decide my fate. If the man thought I was virtuous and clean, he would likely keep me as his own. If not, I could very well be eaten by a tiger when I was cast out, which in my case meant certain death, since I was only twelve, and a small twelve at that. Now, finally we came to a cave, a dark cave, and he led me inside and I was convinced he was indeed leading me to my death in a tiger's lair. But as promised, we came to a small firelit chamber, and there was a man. Just a man of some great age, propped on a rock with only a few crude pieces of furnishing around him. He had smooth, white skin and marvelous white hair, and his teeth were sharp and white. And he paid my captor, who retreated and left me to my fate, I knew I was enslaved, and quite frankly, for the times, it wasn't that odd of a destiny. And my new master smiled. I was petrified by his sharp white teeth, and then I'd realized the joke about being fed to the tiger because this man resembled a tiger with his teeth and his strength and the way he paced his chambers like a great golden lion I had seen in the caravan the summer before. And he told me the story of the beginning when a man and a woman were placed on earth inside of a giant seed. And this invisible hand planted the seed in the bare soil and buried it so very deep. And there, a tree of fruit grew from the seed and when it was ready to harvest, the man and the woman crawled out of the soil from the tangle of roots from the tree and they picked and ate the fruit. But the fruit made them very sick so they spit it into the soil where the seeds grew new people to populate the earth. With that, Bennett struck his bare foot out through the flames of the fire and with the side of his foot scattered the salt ring while Manu had drawn beside me. Despite my chills, I pushed myself up to sit, staring through the flames, trying to focus on Bennett's face as he went on with his story. This man... He said he was the son of one of these seed people, one of many sons and daughters. But he himself had never had a wife, and he couldn't find a woman who could live as long as he, so that he could have a family who never died. And he said I would be his son, and he would raise me and educate me and give me eternal life. And he did. I stayed in the cave with the tiger for over three years, learning everything I could mathematics and alchemy and medicine and philosophy and then one day just as he promised the red star returned to move across the eastern sky after 200 years of waiting and it gave him a sign and he knew it was time to give me the same gift I'm going to give you Henry you know you're very lucky I know you wanted to die back in England and the voyage over but you want to live now, don't you, Henry? You should, because when I'm done with you, you're going to live forever, just like me. 
but I won't keep you like the tiger kept me. I'm going to let you free. I had to kill him to get away, to be free, but I did, and it was hard. Hundreds of years of being his fine son, but I finally got away, and now you'll be my brother, not my son, and I'll give you freedom. My eyes were wide with fear. I shook my head to clear it, sure I was hallucinating it all. And when I looked up, Bennett smiled, and it was then I knew he was telling the truth. And my mystery, my silly mystery, was quite solved. It was Bennett every time. His eyes sparkled as recognition washed my face to ash. It was Bennett who had killed the men on the boat coming over. It was Bennett who had killed the soldiers on the first raid. It was Bennett who'd killed Edmund, who'd strung up those slaves. It was always Bennett. And when he laughed, I saw those sharp teeth, those needle-pointed incisors that were so fine. I'd never noticed. Invisible almost. The tiger's fine son. Not now, silly, he guffawed, waving away the horror on my face. But soon, very soon, it has to be the very right moment. I chose you, Henry, I did. I know it seemed like I got stuck with you, but I made sure we'd be together when the time was right. The tiger told me I'd know when the time was right, and I do, I could feel it. I felt it for years, just like the last time, and the time before. And the time before that, that red star is coming. I can't see it, but I can feel it. And when it does, I'll do it just right. It won't hurt. Just get some rest. He smiled and I immediately felt sleepy, despite his dire warning and my mortal fear. Somehow, I fell asleep and I dreamed of tigers. <laughs>